every single person that's listening right now, you know more about your business than you're giving yourself credit for. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Wild Business Growth Podcast presented by HippoDirect. This is your place to hear from a new entrepreneur or innovator every single Wednesday morning who's turning wild ideas into wild growth. I'm your host, Max Brandstutter, digital marketing due to HippoDirect, and you can email me at max at hippodirect.com for help using your podcast as a marketing tool. This is episode number 707077, and today's guest is Mike Alton. He is the blogging brute, and he's an award-winning blogger who... Uh, I guess he knows a thing or two about blogging. Yeah, he knows a lot about blogging. Anyway, he is the founder of the Social Media Hat, and he also is the brand evangelist at Agora Pulse. He has seen firsthand how effective blogging can drive traffic to your site and convert into sales. So let's update that blog. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, we are here with the blogging brute and the brand evangelist of Agora Pulse, Mike Alton. How are you doing today, Mike? I am fantastic, Max. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic as well. Uh, I should have said the social media hat as well. We'll just, you know, the the is big here if you catch my drift, uh, Ohio yes. buddies. <laughs> but, <laughs> so you're up to a ton of different things, but you really, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed by what you really made a name for yourself for was with the blogging side of things. So we're going to get into a lot about blogging. Before we mm. get into that side of things, I do want to shout out our mutual buddy, Stephanie Liu, who was on the podcast previously. And she's in your 360 marketing squad. So shout out Stephanie Liu and Lights Camera Action. But uh, no, Lights Camera Live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shout out Lights Camera Live. But when she was on the Wild Business Growth Podcast, she was talking about the 360 marketing squad. And she just she just did not have enough kind things to say about you. So I think in addition to sending a check to me for this interview, you have to send a check to her as well. Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's warranted. <laughs> well deserved. So I alluded to blogging and we're going to get there, but I'm curious about the mic before the blog. So before you, <laughs> which, which sounds like a movie, I think. So I know <laughs> before, before you sat down or stood up, I don't know if you have a standing desk before you sat down or stood up to write your first blog. What did your life look like? Like what were your interests? What did you think you would be doing with your life? Because I'm sure it wasn't from like age two that you were like, Oh, Google, Google Gaga blogs. Like, <laughs> No. And in fact, I did not like to write at all when I was young, like, like early, you know, school years, middle school, high school, that sort of thing. And, and a funny story that I often tell that I'll, I'll be brief about in sophomore, uh, my sophomore year of high school in English, I was actually failing and I was never a bad student, uh, averaged above average, at least in, in most classes, particularly English. I was always really good at English, but for some reason I was failing sophomore English. And so my English teacher sat down with my parents and said, look, Mike's issue is that we send home writing assignments and he completes the work. And the deal is as the teacher, I read everybody's work, I correct it and I send it home and they're supposed to make revisions and then resubmit it. And Mike never does. So Mike never got full credit for anything that we'd assigned over the past semester. 
and the and the my issue was I hated to handwrite. Now I'm going to date myself a little bit. This was 1990. Okay, so there wasn't an iPad in every room uh, or, or laptops. I don't even know if there was such a thing as a laptop in 1990. Um, I don't know. I, I do have a yeah, lot of the 90s though. <laughs> but uh, I, I owe so much to this particular teacher because she sat my parents down and she said, look, I think what Mike needs is a word processor. And now some of you listening probably have never even heard that phrase before. <laughs> but back then, you didn't buy computers for just everything because they couldn't do everything. So my parents spent, I think, over $1,000 on an 8086 system, which means it was really old and very slow, had probably four megabytes of RAM. And the only things it could run is DOS and WordPerfect. DOS was the operating system back then, a precursor to Windows. And WordPerfect, which I don't think exists anymore either, uh, was kind of a precursor to Microsoft's Word. So get that in, in your mind, those of you listening. This was a basically just a way to type up text and print it out. But the deal was, obviously, if I type out or type in an essay in the computer, I can save it just as we do today and print it out, turn it in, she could correct it. And then I could go back into the saved copy and edit it. And that just Ooh. changed everything for me because I, I, to this day, I can't stand to handwrite. I don't handwrite anything. I don't even like to sign my name. It's just, it's just not comfortable for me. <laughs> it's not something I like to do, which was brutal in college because I majored in history and I had to write long form essays as our tests. I was going to say history is not the, uh, first major that comes to mind if you don't want to write or read uh yeah i didn't they didn't tell me that when i signed up for that program. <laughs> <laughs> it's all but the yeah, past so now from that point on i i started writing and i became very good at it uh way more than i ever thought i would so fast forward um about a decade or so i'd been working got out of college and i worked for a major major company called dana corporation out of toledo ohio where they provide car parts to all the major manufacturers, huge company, 80,000 people, global company. Holy and I was in their internal IT support desk. So if you worked for Dana Corporation, you were having trouble with email or websites or their ERP systems, which is what I was a specialist at, you'd call us, our internal help desk. And um, was there for a couple of years and then the economy went south and I ended up moving home and I did some other things for a few years, bounced around a little bit and eventually ended up moving to St. Louis to be closer to my girlfriend who I'm now married to. My lovely oh, bride. Congrats. And thank you. That was in 2007. I moved here and started working from home. And I started doing what I already knew how to do, which was to build websites and market businesses online. And as a way to kind of promote that new online business, I started blogging for myself. That was the first time I'd ever written a blog post. It was around 2007, 2008. I started creating content on my own site about internet marketing. And it didn't work. <laughs> it, it did not help me to sell websites. But I found out in that process that I really love to write and I really love to teach people through writing. So about three years later, uh, 2011, 2012, that's when I started the social media hat. And it was just a place where I could write about social media and blogging and content marketing, and email marketing. And potentially earn revenue from that, not trying to sell a website. It's interesting because just explaining your background there, you've said that you hate writing and you love writing. <laughs> so there's both, <laughs> I mean, different, different phases of your life there. There's, there's two sides of it. Yeah. 
what do you think was the biggest kind of enlightening moment where you realized that, hey, you know what? Writing can actually be enjoyable. It doesn't need to be as painful as, you know, what you used to think it was when you're writing your name by hand and writing these essays by <laughs> hand where it's like physical labor. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that there was a um, defining, you know, light from the heavens kind of a moment. It's probably more of a gradual process because at around 2012, 2013, over that time period, and again, we're dating myself because that's when Google Plus was big. Google Plus Okay, now, actually, huge. now you are dating yourself, but... Yes, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for being almost generous. So Google Plus was huge. And I was meeting pe people, new people, which is why I love Google+. Plus. I met all kinds of wonderful people on that particular platform that I never would have met otherwise. And I was blogging and creating this content and sharing that content. And it was through that medium that not only did I meet those people, but they came and they read my content. They read my stuff. And they said, Mike, this is really good. And they gave me the encouragement that I needed as an individual without me knowing it, without them knowing it. But just looking back, and seeing people like Jeff C. and Dustin Stout and Stefan Honanian and Jen Herman, who knew me back in the day, so to speak. And they saw, I mean, I'm sure they could tell that I'd only written 10 blog posts or 20 blog posts. But they could also see that I had a knack for communicating really complex technical topics in a very easy to understand and follow conversational way. And that's been pretty much my hallmark over the past uh, eight years, eight plus years, is that I'm, I'm able to break down really, really complex, complicated, challenging material in a way that anybody can understand. Yeah. And we're going to analyze my DNA after this since you're so good at that. So yes. thank you. Yes. So that, that's what you're here for. <laughs> right. So it's really, it sounds like it's really, it was more of the, uh, the social validation or the social aspect of writing, if you will, that once it was kind of a two-way thing and you started hearing feedback from people, that's when it really became more meaningful for you as opposed to, you know, scribbling something and send it off. And it's, it's only like a one way thing. Absolutely. In fact, that's one of the reasons why today when I'm teaching people how to get, you know, move forward with blogging, uh, particularly if we're talking about true bloggers and not a business that's using content marketing, because I kind of differentiate the two and we can dig into that later. But the one piece of advice I always give people is form some kind of a mastermind group, some kind of personal advisory board, some kind of group of peers and colleagues who can walk alongside you in your professional journey and look at what you're doing and give you that kind of feedback and validation that everybody needs. We all need that. But if you just publish your first blog post today, you're going to get zero validation and zero feedback because you don't have an audience, right? Right. We all started there. You know, Seth Godin did not start with a million followers. He started with zero and he built that up over time. Now, if you are resilient then you can keep pushing forward. If you have vision, you can keep pushing forward regardless of the fact that all you hear are crickets when you publish. But if you can, you know, surround yourself with some people who know you, who love you, who appreciate your, your, your professional background, your industry. So that's why I said peers and colleagues, that's great. Um, mm -hmm. Outside of your actual business, right? Not coworkers, um, you know, but people who are in the same industry as you who can watch what you're doing and give you that kind of feedback. And then you could do the same for them, which is probably even more rewarding. Yeah, and I think that's an amazing way to look at it because writing by definition or whether it's writing or blog, you know, whatever you're writing, whether you're sending off tweets, like by definition, it's, 
it's a solo thing to do. Like it's a thing you do by yourself and it's really kind of a more introverted thing, if you will. But Mm -hmm. there is that, uh, there is that ability to make it more collective and to have that, you know, the peer groups that you're talking about and sharing and reviewing each others and make it more of a social thing, which makes a huge difference. So it's really neat that that's what you kind of uncovered and what helped you really find that passion of your passion for a thing you used to hate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny you mentioned introvert because I really am in a lot of respects, very introverted. And, and that's one of the things that appeals to me about writing. I can block off a bunch of time, which like I have tomorrow, most of tomorrow is blocked off just to do writing. And that's a very pleasurable experience for me. I know I'm going to accomplish a lot and it's going to feel great. And I'm not being bothered by other people. Right. Like me. The yeah, but the <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there but we of go. course, Thank the challenge you. is exactly <laughs> what we just said: is that yeah, you're, you're doing it alone, and once you complete that work, if you don't get any kind of input, any kind of feedback, any kind of validation, that's challenging, and it's very different from say live video, which you know obviously our mutual friend Steph is really good at. You know, she gets almost instant feedback and validation. She goes on video, and there's people watching her. And they're commenting and they're liking and they're engaging with that yeah. medium of content. It's a very different approach, but that has its own challenges. So it, it definitely does. So let's get into this world of the blogging brute, which I love your nickname, mm-hmm. by the way. And Thank I think you. I think it's on your unbloggingbrute.com that I was just reading your description. And it's so funny of how the, the way you describe your ability to write so much and write and be, and be so detailed. And I mean, I think Stephanie <laughs> talked about on her episode how like you can, you know, spend an hour or less or like what feels like 10 minutes right after you guys have, you know, a joint session for 360 Marketing Squad and then bam, blog is already posted. And she's like, what the heck? You know, she didn't even finish sipping her water yet. Like, <laughs> so, so you, you definitely have a knack for blogging in, in a number of ways. So to start off here, I mean, because I'm really curious and I think it'll be really helpful to know why blogging is still so important to this day and with all the different tools and mediums at our disposal in this social media and digital increasingly digital era why blogging is so important so why is it that blogging is something that you're passionate enough about to not only spend so much time doing but also even embrace a nickname about yeah. So yeah, it, it is a funny story. I mentioned Jeff C earlier and he had a weekly show every other week or so called Manly Pinterest Tips. And I was one of the original oh, yes. hosts of that show. And, and that was exactly what happened. We did a show with the producer, Pretty Woman, Gary Goldstein. And hmm. while the show was going on, I was taking notes because I, I was trained at, at, when I was an IT guy to talk and type. So I was taking notes in, in my Evernote and was able to publish a summary basically moments after we went live and and yeah, the reputation was born from that moment on. But the one thing I want to clear up for your listeners right now is that when we talk about blogging, as I kind of alluded to earlier, there's really two different kinds of blogging. There are people who that's what they do. They are bloggers. They're writing about food or travel or some other topic of interest. And that's all they do. Maybe they have a full-time job and this is their side gig, or maybe they're a full-time blogger, but their job is to create content and monetize that content in some way. And that's different from a business that has products and services that they wish to sell. And they want to use blogging as part of their overall marketing plan 
and strategy. Uh, so I oftentimes call that content marketing. It's the same thing, right? So we, we can yeah. say blogging interchangeably. We can say content marketing interchangeably. But for the purposes of the rest of this conversation, we're talking to the business owners, small, medium, large enterprise. It doesn't matter. We're talking to business owners that have a business, physical or not, it doesn't matter. And you want to know why you should create content to market that business. And my easy one word answer for you is Google. Not Google Plus. Not Google Plus. Google. There's not Just a checking. business in the world that wouldn't like to see more organic search traffic. And the really cool thing about search traffic is that when people are using Google to find out something, they have what we call search intent. They want to know the answer. They want to buy something. They want to find something out. They want to get help. They want to solve a pain point. And they're looking for that solution. And hopefully it's you. Hopefully it's your business. Hopefully it's a product or a service that you have for sale that can help them. So the thing is, your product page, your service page, the widget is probably not what's going to rank in a Google search. Because you probably only have a paragraph or two of information about that thing that you're selling. And it's your long form content that's going to rank better. Most people, when they're Googling things or searching on things, they're putting in questions and they're looking for answers. And Google knows from experience that nine times out of 10, it's the more in-depth answer that's more complete because people will spend more time on that page and they'll send other kinds of positive signals that Google is watching. And maybe some of you listening don't really realize just how much Google pays attention to what every single person who goes to your website does. They watch all the traffic coming into your site. They watch which pages those people go to and what they were searching on that led them to those pages. And then they see what happens next. Do they immediately hit the back button? We call that bouncing out. Or do they stick around? Do they scroll up and down? Do they scroll all the way to the bottom of a page? They spend a lot of few minutes, a lot of time on that particular piece of content. Do they follow any of the links that you have on that page? Do they spend more time in your site? Do they click around in your site? And if they do, how much time overall do they spend? What other pages do they go to? How many pages? Because I'll tell you this, if somebody comes into my site and they read six or 10 articles of mine, they're sold. They are going to become a subscriber. They're going to buy something from me. They're going to want to follow me because now they have spent a lot of time learning from me and they're appreciative of that. And I've probably made a good impression. The people who bounce out, obviously, is the total opposite of the experience. I didn't answer their question. I didn't have the information they need. And that's not personal. Maybe they were looking for something else and Google gave them a result that wasn't really good for them. That's also a good thing if that's by design, right? I don't need people coming to my site looking to buy chairs. <laughs> oh man, well, that's a little bit of a letdown, I gotta be honest. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry about that. I don't know, I've got <laughs> There no goes my, my chair gift idea. <laughs> I could, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. So, but if they come to my site looking for chairs and they don't find chairs, they're gonna bounce out and that's going to teach Google, oh yeah, I should not have sent them to there. I'm, I'm personifying the Google AI. It's really a computer and an algorithm, but that's what's <laughs> happening the entire time. So the more content that you're able to write, the more you're able to talk about a specific topic of interest, the more questions you're able to answer, the more people you're able to serve, 
the more you're going to train Google and the more organic search traffic you're going to get. And I got to tell you, the absolute best way to do this is to block. Bam. Drop the mic. Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I didn't even realize the mic one there, but. Wow. I, yeah, should, no. I, I, I should have noticed okay. that. Yeah. I'm sure you've never heard that one before. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of stuff there to, to dive into. Uh, I want to start off first with, I couldn't resist. My girlfriend, Dana's favorite movie of all time is pretty woman. So right after nice. this, if we could just get a conference call with all of us with Gary Goldstein <laughs> right after this, that, that's my, that's my only request. I'll let you, uh, I'll let it slide with the, uh, lack of chairs on your website. Gary is amazing. I was really fortunate to be able to work with him for a couple of years. That's, that's, he was he was my contact. I got I got him on the show for Jeff, and uh, wow. couldn't be a nicer guy in in all of Hollywood. Such a sweetheart. <laughs> that's so great. Oh wow, that's amazing. So we'll have to. Uh, you're welcome, Dana. Uh, we'll have to have a follow up on that. <laughs> but back to the the world of of Google and blogging here. Yeah. So it's clearly important that the more you blog and the more focus you are or the more you show your expertise on a, on a specific topic, the better it is for Google and the more you'll increase your chances of, of improving your you know, searchability or, or people finding you via search on Google. But that, that sort of begs a, a big question is how do you figure out what exactly people are searching for that are going to lead them to your site? Because People could be searching. I mean, there, there's a seemingly infinite amount of things people can search about any given topic. Right. Well, the good news for businesses is that, first of all, there are a lot of ways to figure this out. We'll, we'll run through a few of them. And there's going to be tons more that I, we just don't have time to go into. Techniques, tools, and tricks that you can do, use right now to start figuring out what your audience wants to know. And the other thing that I'll, I'll say real quick is that there are a lot of people out there searching on a lot of things. We don't care about all of them. We only care about our target audience searching on topics that are related to our business. So don't be overwhelmed because the field is narrowed for you. Like I said, I'm not interested in people searching on chairs. I'm not interested in people searching about <laughs> you know, NFL statistics or anything like that that has nothing to do with my business. And I mentioned that. It's kind of funny, I know. But I mentioned that because that also may drive where you look for information. Because if you hang out where your audience is hanging out, you will become exposed to the questions and the issues and the pain points that they're talking about. So let's say your audience tends to favor Instagram. Well, follow some of the popular Instagrammers in your niche and see what they're talking about and read the comments and see what their audience is talking about. That alone is going to tell you some of the major things that people are interested in. But I'll also say that every business owner, you've been in business for a while. You, you, you can't just start a business. I don't know why I'm on chairs today. I can't start a chair manufacturing company <laughs> you can <keep> today. Going. <laughs> I know nothing about chairs other than I sit on them, right? So, so you know a lot I, about I chairs. do that. <laughs> Apparently, I know a lot about chairs. Um, I know that I would need to know how to manufacture them. I'd have to have designs and that sort of thing. So there's a process of learning that has to go happen before you even start a business, which means every single person that's listening right now, you know more about your business than you're giving yourself credit for. So, you know, one of Steph's favorite techniques is called 10 by 10. And so every business owner can take a sheet of paper, fold it in half, and on the left side, write down your 10 most frequently asked questions. These are the questions that your customers are literally asking you 
directly, whether it's face-to-face, over the phone, over email, in the comments of, of your, your social channels or your blog, wherever those questions come in, what are they? What are the top 10 questions? The other side of the paper, you write down, what are the top 10 questions that they should be asking? Super interesting way to mm. approach how do we start talking about things that our audience is interested in? Now, nine times out of 10, the FAQs are going to be more interesting and more popular than the should asked questions, but those are still good pieces of content to have because every single one of those, that's 20 questions, each one of those should be a piece of content. Each wow. one of them should be a video or a blog post or a podcast episode, whatever the case might be. And I mentioned that because content's rather agnostic. I don't want you to go out of this thinking I've got to write because Mike said I have to write. Not necessarily. If you're more comfortable on camera, if you're more comfortable speaking like we're doing right here, you can start with that medium and then have it transcribed into a blog post. That's fine. You do ultimately want to have that written piece of content on your site because that's what Google is going to reference and understand best today. But you can start anywhere you want. But yeah, come up with 10 FAQs, 10 should ask questions, and then start using some of the tools that are available to us as small businesses. And I'll give you just two quick examples. Google, which we already talked about, and SEM Rush. With Google, you open up google.com and everyone's got, you know, everyone knows there's a, there's a big search bar. That's the, the only thing on the screen. Well, what? if you start, t- yeah, I know, okay. it's, it's mind blowing, right? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. If you start typing into that search bar, Google tries to figure out what you want to say, what you want to search on, and auto-completes, which means you can start typing in a question, and Google will tell you what other people are actually searching on and finish that sentence for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Which means you can actually play with that a little bit and discover what other people are searching on that relates to your business. I love that. I, I mean, you see it all the time, but I haven't thought about that from a, a, a real market research side of things. It's great. They, they do the work for you. We shouldn't make it harder than it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Google wants to tell you what people are searching on. Uh, you can also go into the Google Keyword Planner, which is part of Google's ads tool. You don't have to do any advertising. You can create an account for free. Then you can go into Google Keyword Planner and you can actually plug in some of the questions that you're finding elsewhere. And Google will tell you, yeah, a thousand people searched for this last month or a hundred people or 10 people or a million people, whatever the numbers are, Google will tell you. And that will help you determine what should I actually spend time writing about? Because if there were only 10 people searching on this topic last month or fewer, well, that's a waste of time. But if there were a thousand people searching on this topic last month, that's probably worth me spending a few hours creating a piece of content, optimizing it and publishing it and promoting it so that maybe I can get a piece of that thousand people pie. Well, I'm envisioning like next time I'm going to Google, I wish it was as easy as if you type something in and it literally goes like, Max, you need to write about this for your next (laughs) (laughs) That would be nice. Maybe in the future sometime. But you mentioned SEM Rush as well. What's your favorite part of SEM Rush? Yeah, SEM Rush, I like the keyword planner and the keyword tracking tools because this is where you could get a little more advanced in your research. And I do recommend people research and take the time to figure this out so that you don't spend three hours creating a piece of content that nobody's interested in, which is what I used to do. (laughs) And I don't do that anymore. Oh yeah. You can go into SEM rush and first of all, you can get the same kind of data that that Google keyword planner is giving you. Uh, But SEM rush is not free. So 
just you know, understand that. But when you go into SEMrush, you can also then track those keywords. So if you find a particular question, a particular phrase that's really important to you, like in my example, one of my most important keyword phrases for bloggingbrute.com is how to start a blog. I want to be the place people go when they want to learn how to start a blog. So I've created content around that phrase and now I'm tracking that content in SEMrush and I can see exactly where that content is ranking and how that's changing up or down week after week, month after month. And that helps inform me as to what else I might want to do in terms of creating more content, linking, optimizing, all kinds of things. One of the cool things that you can do as a business owner is focus on a particular phrase and create multiple pieces of content. You don't have to stop with one piece of content for one phrase. You can create what I call as a pyramid and have a piece of content at the very top of the pyramid where you want to direct everybody who wants to learn about that particular topic. And then below that, you've got all kinds of other pieces of content, blog posts, FAQs, longer articles, white papers, and so on that are all talking about and referencing and then linking up to that pillar piece, that point at the top of the pyramid that you want everybody to go to, which presumably is going to lead to a business result, whether that's to hire you or buy something from you or subscribe, you know, whatever it is that you want. That's how I structure my content. It's amazing how many things can come. And I know you're, you're an expert at repurposing and turning things into, you know, turning Mm -hmm. one piece of content into several different pieces as well. You know, keywords are, clearly very, very important from the blogging side of things. I mean, there's never, you can never do too much keyword research, it seems. But (laughs) I want to take a a step back here and think about blogging in general. What do you think is the single biggest change that you've made with how you blog that has increased your site traffic? I would say the most effective technique that I have employed over the years, and there've been a few, the most effective one is to really, really go in depth, not being afraid of writing too much on a particular topic. And I put it that way very specifically because some people are scared that they're going to write too much. They think that their audience is not interested in reading more than 250 words on a particular topic. And unfortunately, that's just wrong. It's just wrong thinking. You need to write a lot if you're going to teach somebody in depth about a particular topic. If I wanted to teach you how to start a blog, I can't do that in 250 words. I just can't. It's not going to help you. I'm, that would be incredibly say, yeah, impressive, to, Mike. I'm, you know, go to WordPress and install that and start blogging. I mean, that's about as much as I could say in a paragraph. <laughs> He's brilliant. Yeah. Wow. I never thought of it that way. No, it's, 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 <laughs> I, I don't get that. Um, there are others in my industry who can be that <laughs> impactful in that brief, you know, brief amount of space, but not me. So if I'm going to teach you something, I need to go into depth and I need to spend a lot of time outlining every little piece of information that needs to be shared with you, which means I'm creating content that's anywhere from three to 10,000 words in length. And I'm publishing that as a single blog post. But when I do that well, when I answer a question that other people are asking and I go in depth, I win and I win big. I wrote a piece a couple of years ago it's going to sound funny, but I, I just, I wrote everything you want to know about Facebook mentions and tagging. I thought you were going to talk about chairs again. 
Yeah, I know. I know. I, I disappointed you again. No, like, uh, we're going to have to wrap this up now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was an article on, on mentions and tagging. And the thing is, it's kind of complicated and it doesn't always work for people. They want to tag somebody. They want to tag a page. They want to tag a friend. They want to mention a friend. They want to tag a picture. It gets complicated. And so I broke it all out and I probably wrote for, I don't know, three, 5,000 words. It was a, it's a lengthy article but it ranks number one in Google search for a variety of questions related to that. How do I mention a page on Facebook? How do I tag a friend on Facebook? And so on and so forth. And it gets hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of visitors every single day coming into my site for free. Holy cow. And that's, and uh, I'm reacting with more surprise than I initially thought. Well, I guess surprise until surprise anyway. But I, <laughs> you know, I, I've heard a lot about 2000 word blog posts, you're talking about 3000 to 10,000, like that's a whole other level. So that's, that's incredible. So the first question that comes to mind is speed. How, <laughs> you got, how have you gotten quicker at time? Because I know like just from my experience, I enjoy writing and I enjoy the writing process, but I also write like a turtle. Yep. So I, so I have <laughs> like, I, I, I'm eager to hear, how you can get quicker at type other than taking like a college keyboarding class. I'm actually visualizing right now a little turtle trying to hold a pen. Oh, uh, it's a it's a big turtle. Clawed foot. Yeah, a big turtle. Okay. Well, here's here's a, here's I love this question because you're really speaking to a lot of the same issues that that every writer has, every business owner has. This is why they don't want to blog because it takes too long. And I'll tell you one of the first things that you're doing wrong is you're trying to write about things that you don't necessarily know a lot about. I'll put it another way. Mm. Blog content for your business shouldn't feel like you're writing a research paper. Yet that's how many people approach it. They start looking up statistics. They start researching their topic and, and seeing what other people have written. That's what takes so much time. You can spend eight hours researching an article that still only actually takes you a couple of hours to physically write, but you've spent so much time and it's usually not, you know, eight hours and then two hours it's, it's interspersed. And so now you've invested 10 hours in writing this particular piece of content. And because it's filled with all these statistics and quotes and citations, it's really hard to make that flow. I gotta tell you, that's one of the most challenging ways of writing. It yeah. takes a lot of skill to make a bunch of statistics flow together and feel conversational because we just don't talk that way, right? I, I may have shared a couple of statistics or I may share some statistics, but I'm actually just going to rattle them off and expect that, okay, that's the end of the interview. I shared 10 stats and then we're done. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I, I guess so, you didn't get my last email then, but it's okay. <laughs> shoot, I missed that one. Yeah. So no, when you're writing, I want you to write about what you know. I want you to pull the information out of your head and I want you to write it in a very conversational style just as if you're talking to me on the phone and you're trying to teach me what you know about that particular topic. When you do that and you do that three, four times and then you start to make it a habit of, okay, I'm just going to write about how to start a podcast. I'm just going to write about how to interview a guest. Because those are two things that I know you personally, Max, know a lot about. And you could oh, write well, thank you. 1,500 to 2,000 words without having to research anything, just you and a piece of paper, or a notebook, you know, or Evernote or however you like to actually, you know, put those thoughts down, you could do that easily this is true. And, and, and relatively fast because now you've shaved away some of the unnecessary things. You're not trying to do research. 
You're not trying to create um, a particular voice or a style or approach for the content that's not you. If you're speaking the way you talk, it's going to be very natural and it's going to flow so much better. It's funny because even, you know, when you were, when you were saying research paper as an example of like what it shouldn't feel like, just using the term research paper, like when you said that I shuddered, like just the thought of it, I was like, <laughs> oh, like that felt like it feels yeah. like a thing, like a thing you have to do rather than a thing you're passionate about. How about right. on the, I mean, but even, even if it's something you're passionate about, so, you know, 3000 to 10,000 words or however long you make it. 50,000 mm. words I'll do one later today. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but how do you find the discipline to to sit there and you know, <laughs> sit there in your chair and stay focused <laughs> stay focused and get that writing done rather than it being like a you know you do a paragraph and then you're distracted by something else and then oh no 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 business is going all over the place and oh wait I forgot about my blog. Wouldn't it be ironic if I was like Admiral Kane from Battlestar Galactica and there were no chairs in my office <laughs> at all? It was, we stood all the time. Uh, I thought it sounded funny. like an empty room there. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I cannot bang out a 3,000 plus word article in an hour. I can't. I, I am not a Cylon. I am not that superhuman. It takes me time to write just like it does anybody else. So the real trick there is to make sure that you do have time set aside to write, whether it's every day, every week, whatever frequency you can carve out. Most people recommend every day. It's like you spend like 30 minutes a day writing. I tend to have uh, longer blocks of time on the weekends. I've got two young girls. They still take naps for the most part on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. So that usually gives me two to three hours of solid blocks of time that I can devote to writing. And I love that it's on the weekend too, because there's it's just quieter, right? Even though I have an office, yes. and a, you know, it's the same office every day. During the week, people kind of expect that you're going to respond to their demands on your time. The weekend, not so much. So I have that undisturbed time to write and I can sit down and I have, I use Evernote for all of my publishing. Mm -hmm. And I have a notebook just for blogging. And in that, I've got hundreds of blog post ideas. This is a habit that I've trained myself. Every time I have an idea for a blog post, I throw it into Evernote. Whether I've got time to actually write it now or not, I throw it in there. And sometimes I'll have brainstorming sessions. So I'll create a bunch of different notes. So over time, I've created this library of ideas. And so come Saturday afternoon, have lunch with the girls, put them to sleep, come up to my office. It's now two o'clock in the afternoon. I can sit down and I can go through my Evernote. And unless I already had a predetermined thing that I want to write about, I can just pick whatever topic I feel like writing about at that particular moment. Maybe I feel like being funny. Maybe I feel like being technical. Maybe <laughs> I feel like you know, doing something that I know is going to move the needle for my business. Or maybe I just don't feel like doing that today. And so I'll write something else. Whatever the case might be, that's my time that I have available to me. Now there's one other point that I want to make real quick. And that is that not every piece of content that I write is 3000 plus words far from it. I usually separate blog posts into three different types. Your standard blog post is, or should be around 1250 words. It can be as few as 750 or as many as you know 2000 words. That's kind of your average article, right? Something that you know, it might be like five paragraphs where you've got an introduction, a conclusion, and you're making three main points in between. You'll find the majority of my content kind of flows that way. I, I introduce it. I make some points. 
and then I wrap it up. That's a pretty easy article to write. And if you average around 1,000 to 1,250 words, first of all, it's only going to take you a couple of hours tops to write. And I am not a typer, by the way. <laughs> I, I have to look at my keyboard and I'm watching where my fingers go. So I'm, I'm not like some kind of speeding Gonzalez writer. But the other point is, if most of your content is at least 1,250 words, that's going to look really good to Google. It's going to perform better. Now, there's two other kinds of posts. There's cheater posts, which are 250 words or less. And they're not wrong. It's not a bad thing to publish content that that's that is that short. And there's actually really good purposes for it. You might use that to uh, share a, a YouTube video that either yourself has made or somebody else related to your business, right? You embed that in the blog post, introduce it, boom. Now you got a piece of blog content out there with a nice video and a little bit of text to introduce it. That's not bad. Now you don't want all your content to be that short because it's not going to rank well. But in and of itself, that might actually perform okay. Plus, Sometimes when you write short content like that, it performs better than you thought. It exceeds expectations and you can always go back and add more information. I do that a lot with newsjacking pieces. These are articles that are sharing news that has happened in my industry. I used to do a lot more than I, than I do now. I used to write about app updates. And so I recall many years ago, I wrote about an app update for the Twitter app for iOS that and this was new back then, it suddenly allowed you within the app to toggle back and forth between different accounts. Before that point, you had to log out of the app. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. Which was a pain for a lot of people. So I wrote about it. It was really interesting. Hey, basically, you know, here's how you can have multiple Twitter accounts in the same app. And it was a really, really short post. I just summarized it in 30 seconds, right? So there wasn't a lot of meat to it. <laughs> but people wanted to know about it. So I kept going back and adding to it. Right When Twitter came out with the Android version, I added that into it. I also added information about third-party tools like Agorapulse that you could use to monitor multiple Twitter accounts simultaneously. And I you know, just kept padding that piece of content. And what started off as a simple app update newsjacking piece that was probably 300 words, it's now closer to 1,000, maybe 1,250 words. And it also brings in hundreds of readers every single day who still to this day want to know how do I check more than one Twitter account on my phone? That's amazing. And it's, a, and it's not even a new update, at least at the time of this recording. No. So yeah, that, I haven't, I haven't touched that in probably 18 months at least. Wow. That's incredible. So I, I do, I have one more question on blogging before we move on to a different segment yeah, here. Sure. So since you brought up the different types of posts, if we're going by length here, so let's mm. think about this, this blogging pie. And I have a math question for you. What would you say the breakdown? <laughs> what would you say that? And I do love pie. What would you say? What would you say? <laughs> what, do, what would you say is the breakdown of percentages of, you know, what percent of this blogging pie should be long form? What percent should be cheater content? What percent should be the, you know, the more typical 1000 to 1250 words like there? Where should the focus be? Yeah, and I love that you asked this because, um, yeah, I didn't actually say that third type is the long form, uh, is actually what I would call epic or pillar posts. And that's where you get, you know, three oh, yeah. to 5,000 or more. That's the kind of content you should only publish once a quarter because it is so time consuming huh. and it's so important. And there should be so much additional strategy and tactics that go into creating that particular piece of content, right? So if I'm going to spend the time to write a 5,000 word article, I should probably get some influencers involved, 
I should probably have some quotes from some people. I should have a really massive promotional campaign outline, not just your standard share it to all your social networks and your email list, but what else can I do? Can I talk about that particular piece of content on somebody's podcast or their Facebook Live? Should mm-hmm. I do a Facebook Live about that? You know, there's so much that you could go into that. So once a quarter, and if you do that, if you're consistent with it, once a quarter, those are the pieces of content that are going to truly drive real business results. That's why I call them pillar posts. They're going to become the pillars of your business. When I look back now over the past eight years of content that I published to the social media ad, I can see that it's when I go into depth on Facebook, that's what really resonates with my audience. Those are my pillar posts. And so I can use that knowledge to replicate that success. I say, oh, okay, I, next month I need to write something else big on Facebook. Oh, I don't really have any products that are associated with Facebook. I should develop that next year. I should develop a line of courses and planners and so on that my Facebook audience would be interested in that can inform my business and help it grow. So once a quarter for that, the cheater post should not be very often at all. It's kind of like when you either you find something really, really good and that's the best way to share it or you want to hit your, I shouldn't even say this, but if you want to hit your publishing schedule this week and you don't have something better to publish. Okay, there I said it. You can do that. Ooh, okay. But not I'm keeping often. That, that's going to be the pull often. quote from this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then obviously the most of your time, the most of your published content should be those standard posts. Now, the other corollary to this is how often should you be publishing? And HubSpot did an interesting study about this a few years ago, they looked at a bunch of companies that were publishing content and they were analyzing how many pieces of content each company had and at what point in that publishing calendar that company started to see really, really good results. In other words, how many articles do I have to have before I can expect to see some, some business? And the answer was 50. You need to have at least 50 pieces of content in your archive on average. And at that point, you will begin to see exponential increases in Google search traffic, leads, and sales. So how long do you want to wait until you have 50 pieces of content? If you're, if you're starting from zero, 52 weeks in a year, you know, you take a couple of weeks off and you can get there a year from now, but maybe you don't want to wait that long. Maybe you only want to wait six months. Maybe you only want to wait three months. You can do that. It had, it had nothing to do with how often you publish. It's just a matter of volume. So if you can put out quality pieces of content twice a week or even three times a week, you'll get there faster. Well, I really appreciate the breakdown there of the blogging pie, which is trademark now. Blogging pie, because, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, think, I think out of all those things, the thing that's made me the most happy to hear was that the long form ones, if you just do it once a quarter, then you're in great shape from that respect because it's obviously a ton, like if you have that weighing on you every single week, then that's a lot different. That's a lot more of a, a bigger ask than just doing something once a quarter. I mean, once a quarter, anybody could do that. So it's really, it's great to hear that you can think about it that way. So you finally decide to start a podcast. Congrats. You've never been more excited, but wait a sec you quickly find out this is way more of a time commitment than you initially thought. You're going to need someone that has you covered behind the scenes. That's where I come in. Email me at max at hippodirect.com and let's get wild.
let's switch gears a little bit and let's get into the mind of Mike or as uh, (laughs) as Jeff said in his manly Pinterest podcast the mind of magic Mike so there you go (laughs) I was hoping that wouldn't get in here oh yes that's it's it's the image that you say oh well there thanks for the image anyway (laughs) magic Mike here as we get sued (laughs) by the production company how do you stay creative? How do you stay inspired? So to start us off here, what's the biggest thing you do to stay creative? One of the things that I've been doing over the past 18 months or so is going on photo walks. This isn't a daily thing. This isn't even a weekly thing. It's wherever and whenever the timing is right. But I'll go for a walk. And uh, sometimes my kids are with me, uh, you know, or the whole family with my wife. Um, Sometimes I'm by myself. But I will go on a photo walk where I'm actually actively taking pictures of what I see. This might be through the woods. Um, it honestly started in Paris. I'm going to brag a little bit because since I work for Agorapulse, <laughs> we're based in Paris. And so I get to go there several times a year. And oh, it is just that's a amazing. gorgeous city, a wonderful place to walk through. And I started making sure that I have time now every trip to walk around, particularly around the Louvre. And the gardens, the jars and the Tuileries, that these these gardens that are stretch off beyond the Louvre towards the Eiffel Tower. And you can just walk around and take pictures of architecture and people and shops and you know trees and gardens and so on. And it's interesting and it's inspiring. And when I'm doing that, there's, there's several different things happening. First of all, I'm actually creating content. Because I then use those pictures <laughs> yeah. as my own personal stock photography. So now I don't go to Pixabay or you know, stock photo or anything like that. I now have this library of pictures of buildings and people and trees and offices and you know everything I could want to you know include as a particular as a as a featured image or so on. That time though is also really relaxing, and it allows. We're gonna have another turtle reference. <laughs> it allows what John Cleese calls the tortoise mind to work. John Cleese, is, hmm. you know, hopefully some of you know, he's from Monty. Yeah, Python. yeah, of course. Uh, I, I, the, the, <laughs> me going, hmm, wasn't about him. It was about the, uh, yeah, it, it was about what that means, the tortoise. I haven't heard that. Yeah, he, he writes about it in one of his books and, and he spoke at Content Marketing World a few years ago. And I was really privileged to be able to watch him deliver this, yeah. this information. But he talks about how our brains keep working on creative ventures even when we're not actively thinking about them and so and he shared some examples of like you know when he'd lost scripts uh you know for past you know monty python skits and then had to recreate it from scratch like later and his brain had been continuing to work on it and improved it in the retelling of it and so now he prescribes go for a walk go sit down and just let your mind work without distraction without being guided without being intentional about anything and amazing things will happen as a result. Wow. That's really, really cool. It's really powerful that these photo walks, which I don't think I've ever heard that term before, but I really, really like it. Mm. That it's it's you can do so many things, like you benefit and not just one way from it. It's there's a lot of good for you mentally as well as from a content production standpoint as well and you get to do it in Paris so that's that's not a bad gig yeah yet, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah everywhere I go now I, I like I said I try to carve out time and um, and it's also fun with my girls and the cool thing about a photo walk is 
the point is to just go for a walk someplace and take pictures. So even if the place you intended doesn't work out, you can still make it work. Like we're in St. Louis and this past spring and summer, we had severe flooding. All the rivers, all the lakes around here were very, very flooded. And there, were, there was one instance where we wanted to go down by one of the rivers, uh, the, the Missouri River, in fact, and take pictures in the Missouri River. And we couldn't even get close because it was so flooded. All the roads oh, were wow. closed. Um, the, the trails back where we were going to go were closed. But we were still able to walk some different trails. And we ended up taking pictures of the flooding. And, uh, and they loved it. They get dressed up in their princess dresses and they've got their own little devices. So they're taking pictures and I'm taking pictures <laughs> and it's, it's just fun. It's a family bonding activity too. So, yeah. um, out of curiosity, do you just use your phone for that or do you have a separate camera used for that? I do have a Canon, uh, T6i, but I also now have an iPhone 11 and I've gotten to the point where I just use the iPhone for almost yeah. everything. I don't need pictures Canon. from it. Yeah. How about in terms of inspiring people? So I mean, you mentioned a lot of people that have made a, an impression on you or in, have inspired you throughout this episode, but I'm curious, I'm not going to let you say your parents or your family, because that is by far the most common answer, <laughs> but who, who would you say has helped the most? If you had to pick one person, it could be in this industry or it could be somebody you know, growing up, who would you say has been the most impactful to you to to give the confidence to really go out on your own and create all the content that you do and also embrace, you know, blogging and, you know, all these new types of marketing. Well, boy, that, that's not a fair question. (laughs) I I, got to give you one unfair one. (laughs) It's not fair uh, because there are a lot of people and I am, I'm the first to point and, and thank and hug the people that have supported me over the years, including 360 marketing squad because uh, that's not just yeah. a membership group with with jen and stephanie and amanda it, we have our own private group and we serve as a mastermind and a support group for each other and that is an amazing beautiful thing i guess the one person i would call out from back in the day would be jen herman specifically because of the mutual ways in which we've supported each other over so many years without any kind of expectation that it was going to be reciprocated starting back again, throw it back to the Google plus days when she was just <laughs> starting as an Instagram blogger. Uh, so she was learning Instagram and she decided that was going to be her niche and she was writing about Instagram and I was regularly sharing her stuff because it was fantastic. She knew what she was talking about. And she was to this day, she's still one of the only people who's just very much, upfront and tactical and honest and not trying to blow it up or, or make it pretty or just share what's worked for them, right? She's sharing you really, truly tactical advice that, that'll work for every business. So I supported her hugely back then and, you know, with no expectation, uh, you know, that it would be reciprocated. So fast forward several years now it's 2000, I want to say 16, maybe 2017, I don't recall, but it was at Social Media Marketing World. Now her career has taken off. She's now a speaker. <laughs> She's now a published author. She's the foremost blogger on Instagram in the world. And I want to say my career didn't take off, but it went a different direction. I became the CMO of another company um, and wasn't trying to be as, as public facing, which was fine. But it was at that year's social media marketing world where she invited me 
to come to the speaker's dinner with her and sit with all the other speakers, all the other experts, all the big names in the social media industry. That was a pivotal moment for me. That was something that I will always look back and be grateful for her for being able to bring me along and make me a part of that particular crowd and make me feel like I belonged with those people, that they weren't you know, celebrities and I was just a fan, were peers and colleagues. That was hugely impactful to me. Yeah, there's no tell. I mean, probably the amount of connections and relationships you have out of that group there and people you've met at, at that event, but at any event in the space that you go to is is unbelievable. You just never know what one thing leads to. And so that's really cool. I didn't know. I know Very you true. and I knew you and Jen were close, but I didn't realize you guys went back that far. That's That's really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, yeah, that was the year I met Amanda. And that was the year um, well, I had I connected with Stephanie the previous year on social, but Jen introduced us face to face that year, if I recall right. Bam, the ultimate connector. Yes. <laughs> so let's get to a fan favorite segment called the Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. The Wild Business Shoutout of the Week. Wild business shout out of the week. So this is where we talk about a recent ad or campaign that caught our attention. And at the time of this recording, there's been some craziness going on with a certain brand of, how do you describe it? In-home exercise bike. Exercise bike. And, yeah. uh, and another brand of gin <laughs> has, <laughs> has, followed, has followed it up with pretty much the perfect response. You mind talking about aviation gin a little bit? Yeah, yeah. We were talking, you know, we both thought before the call, independently, this would be a great topic for today because it's so timely and such a good example of smart, clever marketing. We have this Peloton commercial that totally, well, I, in my opinion, it backfired. There's there's debate over whether or not that was yeah. intentional or not. We, uh, there, <laughs> there's you know, a lot it, of debate. It might there. turn out okay for them, but it was very polarizing. Let's put it that way. It was very polarizing. Yeah. This particular commercial and the, and the way it depicted uh, the the customer of Peloton, and so Ryan Reynolds and his Van City Media, you know, who, and he owns Aviation Gen. You know, they came out with a follow up commercial depicting the same actress out with her friends getting wasted on aviation gin. I mean, some <laughs> great lines and some great acting in this commercial. She she drinks a gin and then she takes her friends and their friends is like, oh, okay, we're going to be here. It's your, but she said, she's, it's going to be a long night. Perfect, classic. But, you know, from a marketer's perspective, it was really phenomenal, really well done. Obviously, not everybody has the budget to go out and hire an actress who just appeared in another commercial and, and film <laughs> right. their own commercial. That's that's a bit extreme, but there's still ways that you can play off that in social media, create your own videos, create your own content. Um, it's almost a bit of newsjacking, quite frankly, uh, which is a blocking technique I use all the time, right? Something has happened in the industry, and now we're going to write about it or spin it or use it, leverage it in some way that's of interest to our audience. So it could be exactly what we're doing right now. We're just talking about it. We are technically newsjacking the Peloton commercial and the Aviation Gen follow-up commercial, right? We're just all right, now you're revealing all of my tricks. <laughs> yeah, so and then we're trying to pull from that, okay, what, what can we learn from that? What are the lessons? Uh, so it's super interesting from that perspective. 
Yeah, it is. And I, I do, I really think it was the perfect response. And we don't need to go too much in the, the, the debate about the original Peloton. I know people mm. are really, people were really fired up about it. And I think it, it got pretty tense, especially on Twitter as Twitter can tend to get if there's something people are debating. But I think what's wor- what works so well about this and the aviation gin team's approach and, you know, who knows whose idea, whether it was Ryan or somebody else's idea. Anyway, their, their team went forward with it. I think what worked so well for them was the fact that it was so lighthearted and so funny. And it was just so such like a laid back kind of easy to take in ad that was more or less the response to the initial Peloton ad, which people were so serious about. So you have this serious <laughs> thing that people are fighting like crazy, and then you have it followed up with the same actress. And, and I, I think that speaks volumes about the actress that she was willing to, you know, step right into back into the, the public eye with another commercial that was going to be seen by so many people. Right. It's brilliant on her part. It's brilliant on all their parts. But I think it was it was just really really well done. I mean, they even they acknowledged it. The fact I think her friends are, are saying like, "Oh, you need a drink." Like yeah. it's it, it was just really <laughs> it it was really really well done. I know Ryan Reynolds has a massive social media following. Do you think something like this would have still picked up the way it did had it not been with him behind it and and sharing it out? Oh, absolutely. Because this isn't the only example of a brand playing off something else that has happened. Uh, one of the probably most epic examples that people have used before this is you know, Oreos uh, flipping on a commercial during the Super Bowl after there was a power outage during the Super Bowl. Um, it was just a, a brilliant idea. And, and it really speaks to the point to me of how important it is for businesses to think in advance what kind of content are we going to create? How are we going to do it? And let's get good at that so that we can leverage these kinds of opportunities, right? This yeah. was not the first commercial that, you know, Van City Media or Aviation Gin had ever created. It wasn't their first time. And I can't stress that enough. Your first blog post isn't going to go viral. It's not going to have this kind of success. It takes time to get good at blogging. And once you do that, once you develop the repertoire and the skill and the resources and, and you are now paying attention to this kind of stuff in, in your industry as it relates to your business, then it becomes a lot easier to do this kind of stuff and you can execute well when there is something that happens in your industry. If you've been blogging on a regular basis, it's now pretty straightforward for you to read what has happened and create a piece of content, whether it's video, audio, written, it doesn't really matter. But you can take that thing that has happened and talk about it in a way that is helpful or interesting or entertaining to your audience, whatever the style that fits your business best. Yeah, and that timing is so important. I think I, I saw somewhere that this ad, the the team turned it around like the same day, like the same day they shot it, they got it out that night, which is incredible. I mean, it's a really professional quality, like a real production. So I don't know how they did that, but it's just a really good example of when if it's it's something newsjacking, like your favorite word, uh, <laughs> yeah. if it's yeah. something like that where it's important to be relevant, then it's you know the quicker and more efficient you can be with it, as long as it's good quality, the, the better. So, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that commercial for just a second because if you think about the aviation gin commercial, there's really only two scenes. It opens up with three ladies sitting at a bar, 
and there's a little bit of dialogue for about 25 seconds. And then the last couple seconds is a shot of the aviation gin bottle. That's not complex filming, right? No. They set up a steady cam. They scouted a location. They brought in the three actresses. They created the lines and they shot it. They probably could do it in three takes. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, they were able to turn that in overnight. Right. Now, of course, you have to have the equipment and, and the skill to do all that stuff. So don't let me, I'm not trying to shortchange them. But my point is, it wasn't complicated. <laughs> it was a terrible commercial. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, same with the, you know, the, the blog post that I write. You know, I make it look easy because I've got years of experience. But it, in many respects, the content that I write is easy. It is straightforward. It doesn't have to be complicated. Spot on. Let's get to a segment called the unusual. So think about pet peeves, quirks, and weird talents. So Mike, <laughs> uh, whether it's about a chair or not, what is your biggest <laughs> pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is people who think that today's audiences, today's generations in particular, only want snackable content. And it's just not true. <laughs> when we spend 12 hours watching, binge watching some series on Netflix or now Disney Plus, uh, when we can't wait to sit back down to consume that content. When I see that my three plus thousand word articles rank best and drive hundreds of people per day to read them, I know the truth is that people will consume good content, even if it's long. That's very true. I, I got to shout out my buddy, Brendan O'Mara, who was in episode two, all the way back, episode two of the Wild Business mm. Growth Podcast. When we used to work together, uh, in, in brand management, and he was doing the digital side of things. It still is. Um, he agencies would come in and, and pitch us on different things, and he made a remark before of how it's amazing. Like every single one of the agencies that came in was focused on the snackable content, and they all used that exact yeah. term. So I think that uh, became a pet peeve of his as well. Is is like the, using the actual term just because everybody was obsessed with it. But yeah, to your point, people. Why? I mean. At the time of this recording, The Irishman came out a couple of weeks ago and it's mm. three and a half hours and people have been raving about it on Netflix. So I don't <laughs> exactly so I, I agree with you there. How about quirks? Is there something about your personality that your girls or your wife or somebody calls you out for that uh, mm. is a little well, bit I'm, quirky about your personality, but it, it's who you are? I'm well known, uh, and this is actually by design, uh, for my love of Star Wars. And so <laughs> I've, I've consumed all of the Star Wars content. I talk about Star Wars probably more than it's good for me, um, both on social and in my blog content and so on. And of course, I've got Star Wars stuff all over the place. I, some would say force. I say I co-enjoy Star Wars with my little girls. Um, <laughs> we've been watching The Mandalorian together and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah so people, I'm known for that. And people will share things on social with me. They'll see... Uh, toaster that looks like darth vader and post it to my wall <laughs> those dang darth vader toasters they're everywhere yeah how about no chairs <laughs> no darth vader chairs i think we got a product idea <laughs> how about weird talents so is there something that and you can't say blogging but is there something that you're really really good at and it's it's pretty amazing but it's really doesn't have an impact on your business like it could be like a memory trick or it could be something that you do like around the house. That's just really, really good at this like little thing. Yeah. So before I moved to St. Louis, in fact, the, the two years before 
I moved here. My last two years in Ohio, I worked for a chain of businesses in, in Ohio called Lighthouse Pools and Spas. And this was yeah, my yeah. attempt to get out of the IT industry. You're, yeah, you've probably heard of them. Yeah, um, yeah, actually, yeah, I haven't heard that people. name in a while. Yeah, I remember, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing them. <laughs> Small so world. I worked for two years there selling swimming pools and hot tubs, which was super fun, super great <laughs> training. Every Wednesday, we'd go into Cleveland, uh, Richmond Heights, I think it was. and um, Oh, yeah, not far. Sales training, uh, which was pretty cool. But nobody buys swimming pools in December. So in, you know, come November, every lighthouse pools and spas store throughout all Ohio, there's like 20 of them, uh, including the one that I worked at in Sandusky, would transform into a pre-lit Christmas tree sales store. And that's what we would sell. We would sell, you know, hundreds of pre-lit Christmas trees and they were really good trees. To this day, I don't have one and I want to go back to Ohio and buy one. (laughs) And so long story short, my secret hidden weird talent is that I am a professional grade Christmas tree decorator. Oh, there you go. So you, okay. So I think you're going to have a lot of phone calls, uh, people asking you to come help out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My, my Christmas tree every year looks really good. (laughs) Not to brag. Not to brag. You have the background there. It's also, yep that's pretty smart on the lighthouse side of things that they, that they realize the seasonal aspect of their products and mm-hmm. embrace, embrace that around holiday season. So that, that's pretty cool in itself. Yeah. All right. Only a little bit of time left. Let's wrap up with some rapid fire Q and a you ready for it. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. No, I, I'm supposed to get you anyway. Oh, uh, <laughs> thank you. All right. Let's get wild. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Like which one of the the nine? The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. There we go. (laughs) And that's it. We're done. (laughs) What? Are you serious? Yeah. No, I loved it. I love The Last Jedi. (laughs) How about, I know you like Star Trek as well. Mm -hmm. Who's your favorite Star Trek character? Picard. All right. No hesitation. I like it. How mm. about if there was a food that you could eat for the rest of your life, but you couldn't eat any other food, it had to be this one food, what would it be? Mm, minestrone. Oh, that is the first minestrone reference in this podcast. Congrats. <laughs> winner, winner. <laughs> that's yeah we'll get you some soup uh <laughs> what's your favorite word to write absolutely absolutely and what is your favorite your absolute favorite i think i said favorite what is your absolute favorite topic to blog about how to make money blogging. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. We'll need to dive into your, your website more after this, but thank you so much, Mike, (laughs) Mike, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your breadth and wealth of, of tips about blogging and even setting up Christmas trees. And of course, chairs. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on (laughs) chairs. Cheers. Cheers. Um, (laughs) What's the best place for people to connect with you? 
Well, first of all, let me say, this has been fun. This has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Um, and, and I'm not just saying that because I, I do a lot of interviews and, and they're not always this much fun. So this has been great. Oh, great. It uh, warms my heart to hear that. Yeah. And so one of the cool things that I discovered over the years when I was writing on the social media hat was that when I wrote about blogging, nobody wanted to know anything about it. So I actually migrated a hundred pieces of content off of the social media hat and started a brand new site last year called Blogging Brew, which you, you mentioned earlier. Yeah. So that's actually now the best place to find me, bloggingbrew.com. I'm Blogging Brew everywhere, uh, which was a nice little fun side thing. I was able to actually get some similar social profiles, which I'd never had before. So long story short, I am Blogging Brew everywhere. Perfect. All right. And last thing here, final thoughts. The stage is yours. It could be a quote or a song lyric or an impression, whatever you want. Send us off here. Final thoughts. Okay. Well, as a father of two young girls, I'm going to do a little earworm here. Um, I of course have seen frozen Two, the new frozen film that came out a couple of weeks prior to us <laughs> recording this particular episode. And so I have into the unknown in my mind playing nonstop because my girls have been listening to it quite a bit uh, when we're in the car and elsewhere. And I think it's a great song. Uh, definitely sticks with you. Everybody should go listen to Into the Unknown. Et tu brute. <laughs> if that song gets stuck in your head, just let it go. Thank you so much, Mike, for coming on the podcast and sharing your amazing blogging tips. And thank you, wild listeners, for tuning in to another episode. If you want to hear more wild stories like this one, Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also keep up with our blog, which you knew that was coming, at hippodirect.com blog and our newsletter at hippodirect.com newsletter. That newsletter is the Hippo Digest and it's your place for wild marketing ideas every single week. And last but certainly not least, come connect and say hey on social media at the handles HippoDirect and Max Brandstetter. Until next time, let your business run wild. Bring on the bongos!